Thank you, Elder Doug. Um, you know, when I got up this morning, um, the first thing that I said was, Lord, help me to live this day for your honor and glory. Amen? That everything that I say and do will bring pleasure to your sight. That it's really about you. But we should not be saying that just on Sunday mornings, but we should be saying that every morning. Amen? Because he is good and he is gracious and he is merciful. Uh, today we're going to conclude our series. We're going to land this plane of reckless love of God. And we've been talking about how God pursues a loving, intimate relationship with us. And he doesn't care about the consequences. He doesn't care about the results. The only thing that he cares about is you and me. And that is why he gave up his best, and that is his one and only son. You and I know, having children, we would not give up our best, our precious child, for someone else. We would never do that. But you know that God the Father did that. And we are precious. And that's what we've been discovering and learning about, that we are precious to him. And we are loved by him. And that he would do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. And that he would do whatever it takes that you will be in kingdom of God one day, enjoying the fellowship with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? Brothers and sisters, so we're going to talk about today about God's possession. And I am super excited to conclude this message with that we are God's possession. He owns us. But before we start this message, I'm also excited, as you know, I'm always excited to start a brand new series, as you see it in your bulletin insert. It's called Be the Church. Be the Church, Uptown. And the, there are four things that we're going to talk about, which I call four Bs. And the first B is to believe. As a church that we need to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? No other person, no other one, no other thing but believe in Jesus Christ. And second B is that we're going to talk about as a church that we need to sense of belonging. Do you sense of belonging to Uptown Baptist Church? And if you don't sense of belonging to Uptown Baptist Church, the question that I have to ask is, why do you not feel a belonging to the Uptown Baptist Church? And we're going to talk about that. And third is, third B is to become. What is God envisioned Uptown Baptist Church to be? What is what he envisioned Uptown Baptist Church to be? It's not about what you envision, because we're talk, we, don't, we want to get away this consumer mentality. Because again, the problem that we're facing today is that people have this consumer mentality and say, we want church to be this way. God, we want you to be this way. And we put God in our box, we shape him and move him into our image rather than bearing his image. Right? And so we're going to talk about what God envisioned and God, what, how God wants Uptown Baptist Church to become under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? And fourth, uh, you know, as Elder Doug talked about this, fourth, we're going to talk about being sent out. Okay? As becoming the church that Christ envisioned to be. That we don't just stay inside the walls of this beautiful building, but that we are sent out to share the gospel, that we are sent out to be the salt and light. Amen, brothers and sisters? Come on with me. So that's what we're going to talk about now. You know why I'm super excited. And you all be, you, uh, need to pray for me as, we prepare this, uh, as I prepare this message or had been prepared just, you know, praying about it. 
So let's go to the message that today that God has given us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. Lord, we just, I just can't understand sometimes. Just, our mind is just blown away that a creator and a mighty God pursues a loving and intimate relationship with his creation. We're not, only his creation, we're not only your creation, but we bear your image. And we are yours and we belong to you. So thank you. Father, we pray that you would teach us through this text what it means that we are God's possession. What it means that we are owned by you. What it means that we are child of God. So Father, we ask that you bless it. Now may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to you. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. God has blessed us, uh, G and I, and he has blessed us with a lovely home. And we, we, we enjoy living in our home because it allows us to invite people over. And, 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 and G has the gift of, hosp gift of hospitality, and we love people having over. And he has blessed us with this home over the years. And, we, and because he has given us this home, we have to be good stewards of this home. So we need to clean it inside. We need to clean it outside. And when something goes wrong with the house, then we have to try to fix it. Now, in my own humanness, or sometimes my pride gets hurt, that there are some things that I can't fix at home. Are you with me? And if there's something that I can't fix at home, even though that my pride gets hurt, I have to acknowledge that I can't do that. That's above my pay grade. I can't fix that. So what? I have to call the professionals. And even the professionals, they specialize in specific areas, right? They themselves are limited in what they specialize. For example, a plumber cannot fix electrical stuff. So if we need a plumber, we call a plumber. If we need to some electrical stuff problems, then we call an electrician. We don't call an electrician for plumbing work, right? If there's heating and cooling and stuff, I bet our heating and cooling is kind of getting a headache because we're turning on the air one day, we're turning on the uh, heat, heater one day. Pastor Mark told uh, our brother Moses that you need to turn off the heat this morning for our church members to be comfortable. Welcome to Chicago, everyone. So there are professionals that take care of specific things, whereas we, we cannot. And we take care of it because it is our home. It is our home. It is ours, and we enjoy it. Now, I remember growing up when I, when I had this bicycle, and, and some of the kids kind of made fun of my bicycle. And they said, oh, it's outdated, it's junk, you know, it's, you can't do any tricks with it, you know, you cannot jump ramps off of it. And they're making fun of my bicycle. But I looked at them and I said, hey, that may be a junk to you, but it's my junk. I own it. All right, are you with me? And even though some people call it a junk, it's my junk. I clean it, I oil it, and I, you know, whatever it is, I take care of it because it's my junk. You see? Now, all of us owns a possession of something, right? 
whether it may be clothes, whether it may be shoes, whether it may be car or a home or whatever it may be, some people may say that is a junk, but you, you look them in the eye and say, but that's my junk. And I take, but some of you got too much junk. And you need to declutter. I won't mention any names, but we have someone move. Boy, he, that person had a lot of junk. But that was his, her junk, his junk, you know. This is a, a side note. There's a lot of stuff in our church that we need to declutter. Amen? So we're going to do some spring cleaning, and we're going to do some declutter some of the stuff that needs to be removed out. Because, again, we need to take care of the God's house. Amen? We need to take care of God's house. Now, all of us, as I said, that we possess something. And you know what it means to possess something. But you know where I'm getting at. You know what it means to possess something and you take care of it and you care for it and you cherish it. You value it because it is yours. But the great news is this, is this, my brothers and sisters. That you are God's possession. Amen? And God loves you. And God cherishes you, and God values you. So whatever happens to you, that he's there to take care of your immediate needs. Amen? Now, he's not limited to uh, like us, you or me. He's not limited. He's not, uh, uh, he's not uh, what is it, uh, finite. He's infinite, right? He doesn't have to call the professional for a plumber. He doesn't have to call an electrician or a professional because he is the professional. Amen? And he's the one that created the professional. So if you need something, then you need to go seek God first. Why is it the problem is that when we need something, when we need help, that we go to someone or something rather than going to the creator? Amen? That's what we do. But I want to remind us through the book of uh, Ephesians, book of uh, Paul is reminding us that God is the one who possesses us. He owns us. First, he created us. And he, he, he created us in what? He said in the book of Genesis, he says, let us make man, what? In our image. What does he mean by our image? You have to catch that word our. It's plural. He's talking about our mission is that we have the image of God the Father. We have the image of God the Son. We have the image of God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? You bear the image of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So why should we worry or be concerned about how we live in this life when we bear the image of God? Amen? Not only we bear the image, but we are his children. He doesn't stop there. We are his children. And third, as we learned about last week, he redeemed us and he purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ. We bear his image that we, we are his creation and we are his sons and daughters. God loves us. If you can't get, not get anything out of this message, just understand that God loves you. Amen? Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, verses 11 through 14. 
And through this text, we will discover that we are God's possession. And because we belong to Him, and in Him, in His great sovereignty, He he planned out our lives perfectly that will lead ultimately to the kingdom of heaven. We will also discover, we will also discover that God's process, how we get to kingdom of heaven, that's what Paul is going to teach us. How do we get there? So please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. You'll see it behind me, or if you have your Bibles in front of you. This is what Paul says. Paul says, in him, meaning Jesus Christ. We were also chosen. The Greek word is kaleo, literally translation is obtain an inheritance. Some of you have a little translations like ESV or King James Version will have this word versus chosen. You will see the word obtain inheritance. That's a little translation from the Greek. The question is, who is Paul referring to that obtain inheritance? Or the NIV will say chosen. Who is he referring to when he says it? That is a question that we want to answer. He is talking about his own nation, the Jews. You see, he's saying the Jews have been predestined. What Paul is saying is that God had predetermined beforehand that the Jews will receive an inheritance in Christ. But not all Jews will receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. We know that. But again, we had a wonderful time in the week of the Holy Week the Passion Week, when we had a a brother whose Jewish background share his story. We had a Seder. And it really enlightened me and really gave me a new perspective about the tradition of Jews. But here Paul reminds us it is the first Jews that God had predestined and chosen. Now, the important thing is, is it is only in Christ. Just because that you are a you are, you belong to a nation of Israel, or that you are, your background is Jew, doesn't automatically say, I get a pass to the kingdom of heaven. No. It is, Paul reminds us, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are in Christ, and that is the only way that you will receive the inheritance of a kingdom. It is only in Christ that we've been redeemed, because again, it is only through his blood. Right here in this context, Paul is teaching us as an, an order of redeemed. There's an order of redeemed. As we will continue, as we will continue to discover that the, the Jews were first in line. Now, you may have a question with that. And that's a question that you can ask when you go to heaven. And say, God, why did you do that? And then he will, he will answer that, and he will say, oh, okay, God, I see, I see uh, what you're doing. Okay, okay, makes sense. You know, remember, God is God, and we're not. He knows what he's doing. But again, so Paul said, according to the plan of him who works out everything to what? Conformity. Or better translation is counsel. With the purpose of his will. Now, the Greek word for counsel is 
bole, which means this. Please listen carefully. Purposely arranging all physical circumstance which guarantees every scene of life works to his eternal purpose. Now, this is a wonderful encouragement for you and for me. Because we're reminded that God has perfectly arranged for his eternal purpose. Okay? Nothing falls outside of his good and perfect will. Because remember, God is perfect. And he perfectly arranged it perfectly. Because he owns this world. He created this world. Now, I've been at some homes when the ladies have modeled it and decorated the home perfectly. It's beautiful. I go there and then I touch something and, and it kind of is disproportionate to the balance of the house. And immediately this person will come in and straighten it. Straighten it out. Because she takes pride in what she did. She takes pride in how she decorated the house. Perfectly arranged. Some of you who, who, who loves to garden. Right? You will go out in your back of your garden. You have some nice roses and you have nice plants and so forth. And, and you all know what I'm talking about. And so if someone comes and kind of, you know, ruins your work of art of your garden, you get, oh, you have to go and straighten it out because you have perfectly arranged it. And so having said that and having that mind, God has perfectly arranged your life. He perfectly, beautifully arranged your life. Okay, nothing is out of place. God knows, again, the Bible tells us, God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Now, some of you guys, you're kind of a little short of your head. Sorry. Was, it, was that mean? I apologize. I need to repent. But you all know what I'm talking about. God knows the, the amount of hair that you have on your head. Because he perfectly arranged it. God knows how many days. Your days are numbered. Because God perfectly arranged it. And that's what Paul is reminding us. That God perfectly arranged our lives. So then why are we so concerned? Why are we worried? Why do we get scared? Why do we get frightened when that we are walking outside the streets? Or when we are in our workplaces. When God perfectly arranged our life beautifully. Amen? Look to the person next to you and say, you're beautiful. Come on, I'll say it. You, you mean it. Because you are God's creation. And God perfectly arranged your life beautifully. And that is why you all are beautiful. Am I beautiful? Are you beautiful? Come on now, you guys. Do some of you guys need a dose of caffeine or what? Come on now, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you beautiful? Amen, amen. God arranged our lives perfectly. Jonathan Edwards was what is a, a great American preacher. And he was in involved in what we call a great awakening. It was one of the uh, revivals in the, in, uh, uh, in the city. And he was known as the Great Welcoming, Awakening. And he, he was also his, one of his famous sermons. And his known was 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. And some of you guys have read that literature in your history classes because it's well, again, the, the title itself is misleading. But really, Jonathan Edwards is talking about the love of God in this sermon. He writes about the doctrine of sovereignty of God in this way. Look at behind me. He says, the doctrine has often appeared exceedingly pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to describe to God. I love how Jonathan Edwards describes sovereignty of God as bright, sweet, and pleasant. I love that. Now, here's how God's sovereignty works. Let me share a, a personal story. About, I, I believe about three or four years ago, uh, G and Rachel and I, as three of us, took a family trip. We took a road trip to Florida. And it was a long trip, but we had fun driving. We stopped by Nashville, Alabama, and different parts. And so we got into Florida, and we were like, we made it. <laughs> we made the drive. So we got there, and then uh, we stopped at a stoplight, but all of a sudden, the car started acting funny, our minivan. Minivan started acting, and it started shaking a little bit. You know what that means. And then we saw a checked engine light come on, and we saw all these lights coming on, the battery light, all these, and it's like shaking. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And we feel like the car is going to die out soon. But she noticed to her right as she was sitting on the passenger, she saw the a, a auto shop called O'Reilly Auto Shop. And she said, let's drive in there. And so I turned it around and we got into the park. We barely made it to the parking lot. And we went in and we, I talked to the, uh, uh, one of the sale associates. He came out and he checked and he says, you know what, your battery's down. You, you're, you're fortunate enough that it stopped right here because you'll be stuck. But he checked it and he says, the reason why your battery is dying is because your alternator is bad. Y'all been there? And he says, you need a new alternator. Now, we have the new alternator that we can sell you, but we don't change it here. But the, the, one of those associates said, listen, there is a local mechanic. He's a good friend of mine, and I believe that he can take care of you. So he called them and he says, they are, they are visitors from Chicago. And they look a little nervous. <laughs> Can you, take, can you take care of them? And the mechanic says, sure, have the, com have the car come by, and I'll, I can replace it. And then they can enjoy the rest of the vacation. And that was great. But the thing is, the thing is, is, I tr is we went out to start the engine again, the car just completely died. Car completely died. And G and Rachel, they were in the car, in the car and they were kind of hot and so forth. And, and then the, the, the associate, this is God's grace. He said, I will, we will take out your old battery, and we will charge it, and we'll put in a new one so that you can drop off your wife and daughter to the hotel, and you can come back, and by that time, the battery should be charged up, and then you could ch we'll change, change it, and then you could take it to the mechanic, and he'll change the altar. God is good. He didn't charge me for the new battery. That's what, so that's what exactly I did. I dropped him off, came back, and then we had still, still a couple, uh, we had about a, another hour uh, waiting of recharging the battery.
But we got into a conversation. And you know my heart is and my passion is evangelism. So I talked to one of the serial associates. And I said, I'm a pastor from Chicago. And he was a young man, probably about 21, 22. And he just kind of looked at me and he had this look in his eyes. And I knew that look. He needs some hope. And I started talking to him, and then I showed him I'm a pastor. And he started asking me this question. And he said he's struggling with his relationship with, with his girlfriend, and, 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 they're, and he loves her, but at the same time. But I cook, cut the long story short. I said, both of you need Jesus. And I shared the gospel with them. And he was so fortunate, and he was so thankful. And he said, and I told him, I said, go find a local church around your house. And he knew there was a local church around his house. And then I said, take your girlfriend and her to the local church, and meet with the pastor. And he said he will. You see, that night when I went back to the hotel, when we got our car all fixed up, went back to the hotel, and I, that's the fir- first thing I told G was this. Yes, God wanted us to enjoy the, uh, the vacation, but he had a deeper purpose. Are you with me? He had a deeper purpose that I share the gospel with this young man that he could share with his girlfriend and they could be part of a church like UBC. Amen? You see, that's how God's sovereignty works. God's sovereignty works is that he dropped us off, you know, that we wouldn't get it stuck at some road, some off-road road in a hot weather in Florida. That's how God's sovereignty works. And secondly, that he planned it all this time that Nick was going to share the gospel with this young man. That's how sovereignty works. And I'm sure some of you, not all of you, have experienced the sovereignty of God. Amen? We just have to obey. Paul continues in verse 12, in order that we who were first, meaning the Jews, to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. You see, throughout history, the Israel of Israel, the nation of Israel, they've been crying out, to God, to send a Messiah, to send a Savior. And God finally sent them. And as a result, they, some of them have received Jesus into their heart, and then they give praise and glory to God. Therefore, they were the first to believe and gave praise to the God. Now the question is, what about the Gentiles, us? Okay, Paul, you talked about the, Gentile, uh, the, the, the Jews, you, being coming to know the Savior. But what about the Gentiles? Well, he answers that for us in verse 13. And you, meaning Gentile, us, he says, also were included in Christ. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel. When you heard the message of the truth, I want you to underline that word when you heard the message of truth. So Paul is implying, as he's talked about other, t- other, t- other times in other, his other letters, how can one be saved unless they hear the gospel? And how can someone hear the gospel unless someone is sent? And he says, and he concludes, how beautiful are the feet who bring the gospel. So how can your neighbor be saved without hearing the gospel? How can your co-workers be saved without hearing the gospel? 
How can you know, someone that's standing in the front of the grocery line can be saved without hearing the gospel? You see, it was God's sovereignty that he placed you in the apartment. He placed you in your neighborhood. He placed you in your workplace. He placed you standing in the grocery line. It was his sovereignty so that you can share the gospel with the person that is with you. Amen? UBC's church, come on. Amen? You see? That's what Paul is reminding here, here. That when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of salvation, is your co-worker hearing the message of the gospel? Is your neighbor hearing the gospel? I often tell some young professionals like lawyers, doctors, or business owners, or employees, or employers, I always say, hey, you do a, a lawyer would do a better job God spreading the gospel to another lawyer. A doctor would do a better job sharing the gospel to another uh, a doctor. An uh, engineer would do a better job sharing the gospel to another engineer. And a store owner would do another, uh, a better job of sharing the gospel to another store owner. The employee, and you all know what I'm talking about. God has given you and blessed you with a specific profession or vocation in your life. As a student or whatever it may be, young adult or having a young family or, or who are elderly senior saints, you are in a position where you can share the gospel with your neighbor. Amen? Remember Paul says here, you heard the message of the gospel, the truth. The center of the foundation of Paul's teaching is in Christ. It is the central theme throughout his letters. You know that Paul wrote most of the New Testament letters. And the central theme of his letters is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Prior to Paul, we don't see in any of the scriptures any of the letters in Christ prior to Paul? Follow-up question. What does in Christ entail? First, it brings transformation. You see that? You see it behind me. It brings transformation to our lives. The question that I have to ask you is that are you transformed? Are you changed? Are you, do you have a deeper relationship with Christ since last year? How is your spiritual life? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Be renewed of your mind. How? Excuse me. Be transformed. And how do you be transformed? Renewing of your mind to be more like Christ. And the question that I have to ask you this morning, including myself, is do you have the mind of Christ this morning? And if you have the mind of Christ, are you being transformed to be more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Amen? That's what it means to be in Christ. Second, we are to be alive in Christ and dead to sin. Third is that we no longer depend on our own righteousness but Christ's righteousness. Amen? Too many people don't want to believe in Jesus Christ because they want to depend on their own righteousness. That I'm good. I follow the law. I don't steal. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my income tax. I don't do this and I don't do this. I deserve to go to heaven because I am righteous. You know someone like that? I do. 
four, and I love this, is this. We are no longer independent, but dependent on the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? When I came to Uptown Baptist Church, I didn't come to be independent. When I came to Uptown Baptist Church, I came to be dependent upon you. Amen? We are dependent on one another. I'm going to stop here and let me put a pause button here because I'm going to start preaching now. I love my ushers. I love my ushers. And I am solely dependent upon them. Because I know they bring, it is not an easy job. Sometimes they got to be security. Sometimes they got to, you know, sometimes they got to say, hey, this is, the, this is the guideline. This is the policy of UBC. Again, we're not trying to be harsh or anything, but there has to be structure. Because without structure, there is chaos. There has to be order in order to be order. Remember, God is a God of order. Remember, God has, that's why he has given us the word of God. If God is not the God of order, if God is, remember, he plans out perfectly. And isn't it written in the word of God? So because of my ushers, I could focus on preaching the word of God. You see? I feel protected. I feel secure. I feel confident because I depend on my ushers. Amen? So if you give a hard time to ushers, then you need, you're going to deal with me. <laughs> you know? I know you got, I know you got, uh, I know you are a football fan. Bears fan? Oh, yeah. Hoorah. <laughs> so, so Marines, side note here, Marines, they got a saying. They want to encourage one another, right? And they have this philosophy that never leave a Marine behind. And how they encourage one another is what they do is that, hoorah, all right? For us as Christians, we say amen, but Marines, they say hoorah. So it's okay for us to say hoorah, hoorah, all right? But she, the quarterback depends on what? Rely on the, the front line. To protect them. I'm the quarterback. And I got a powerful ushers in front of me protecting me. Amen? So let me say this, ushers. I love you guys. Amen? And so my brothers and sisters, let's support our ushers. Let's support other servants in our church. The, the worship team, the the children ministry team, and it goes on and on and on. And, they, you know, there are a lot of things that goes on behind the church that we don't see. But people are doing it, so, but we depend on them. And that's the point that I want to get at is that we are no longer independent, but we depend on the body of Christ. There is no lonely person, uh, a lone ranger in, in our church. We are a unit, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this can only happen that we are in Christ. And that we are his body and, the, and Christ is the head. This is the message of the reckless love of God. Amen.
and of grace of God. In Christ is also the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 13, Paul says this, When you believe, when you believe, you Gentiles were marked in seal with a, excuse me, marked in him, meaning Christ, with the seal, the promise, the Holy Spirit. You see, in the western states, some of the cattle owners, how they determine that this cattle is mine is they put a seal of ownership on the cattle's butt. You know, I don't know if you see that, but they have it around their area. And so if people are, if the cattle wander away and went to another ranch, they see the seal or the mark or the brand, they call it the brand, of the, the, uh, the, the owner of the, uh, the ranch, then they're going to say, oh, it belongs to the Joneses. I didn't know Pastor Mark owns a cattle ranch. But you all know what I'm talking about. There is a seal that shows that the ownership. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ, oh, excuse me, that's what Paul is reminding us. That God put a seal of a Holy Spirit in your heart that is evidencing that, you, that this son of mine, this daughter of mine belongs to me and that he belong, he or she belongs to the kingdom ranch. Amen? It's a great encouragement, isn't it? That we have the mark of the seal of the Holy Spirit. That we belong to the kingdom of heaven. To the Father. With the seal comes with the promise of the Holy Spirit. As a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Notice in verse 14 Paul says this. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? Now, in the Greek Roman culture of that day, you have to make a deposit of a possession, of a purchase, of a possession. If you wanted to purchase this this piano, then you have to put a deposit and say that I'm going to come back with a full payment and that this piano belongs to me. A deposit. You see, in the Greek, the word deposit is absent because deposit and guaranteeing, you see that, is one word. In the English translation, you'll see deposit guaranteeing. But in the Greek, there will be no deposit because it's one word. You see, which means the Greek word for that is erubon, which means earnest money, large part of the payment given in advance as a security that the whole will be paid afterwards. You all been there. You had to make a deposit of something so they could purchase later on. About four years ago, uh, Rachel and G were saying, we need to get a dog. And Rachel's been always been wanting a dog for ever since she was a little bit like this. But now she's, you know. Now, before when she was younger, you know, I, I could look down at her and then, you know. But now I have to look up at her. You know. But about four years ago, G and Rachel, 
said, let's go look for a dog. And G found the breeder. Uh, we drove about close to two hours. And we saw all these other kinds of different kinds of dogs. And then as soon as uh, G and Rachel saw Max. Can you put a picture behind? There he is. <laughs> Don't get distracted by the picture, okay? They immediately fell in love with the Max, as you can see why. It was a little, it was a little it was, at that time it was like maybe three or four months old. And the, the breeder said to us, he said, there's other people that are going to come and see the puppies. So we cannot, I cannot guarantee that he's going to be here when you come back. So what she said to us is that to ensure that this boy Max will be yours, is that you have to leave a deposit. And that will guarantee that this max will be yours. And I said, can you give me a couple hours? So, you know, a couple hours and I'll call you back. And she says, okay, I'll give you a couple hours. And so we're driving back and within 30 minutes, G and Rachel's like, no, we got to get him. We got to get him. So it's less than two hours. I called back. I gave her my credit card number and said, this is my deposit. And then she said, congratulations, Max will be yours. She hold on to Max. So after he got all his shots and everything, a few days later, we went back to pick up Max, and he was ours. And, Ma and, and Rachel's like, I can't believe it. He's mine, you know. You see how that works? Paul is telling us, brothers and sisters, God put a deposit and earnest money in your life with the Holy Spirit that guarantees that you belong to him. And that one day when he's going to send his Jesus Christ to Parousia, and he's going to take us home, and he says, welcome to the kingdom. Boy, what insurance, isn't it? That's what it means that Paul says that we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance. And brothers and sisters, heaven is going to look beautiful. More than 2,000 years, he's preparing a home for you. You think this world is beautiful. How long did it take God to create this world? Six days. He created those worlds in six days, and now this world is beautiful. How long it took God to create your daughter or your son in the mother's womb? Average is about nine months. And you have a beautiful daughter, beautiful son. Some of you are blessed to have beautiful granddaughters and beautiful grandsons. And you know what I'm talking about. It took six days to create this world. It took nine, day, nine months to create your beautiful children or yourself. But God is preparing a kingdom of heaven more than 2,000 years, 2,000 years. Can you imagine how beautiful the kingdom of heaven is going to be like? And that's what's waiting for you. That is your inheritance. But Jesus said, I need to go. And I'm going to preach in the, this is another sermon. But Jesus said to his disciples, I need to go. Why? To prepare a place for you. That's amazing. Whatever is in heaven is available to us. That is the inheritance that Paul is talking about. So if our inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, then why do we struggle so much in this life? 
That's the question. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen? Now, if we are children, then we are what? Heirs. Heirs of God. I want you to highlight that word. Not only that we are heirs of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Amen? Loved ones, when you see celebrities or athletes, when you look at their children, when you look at children like the high corporate America men and women, their children, they have a great inheritance waiting for them. And then some people will say, wow, it'd be great. So lucky to be LeBron's kids. So lucky to be Jordan's kids. So lucky to be uh, Bill Gates' kids. So lucky to be, uh, 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 you know, these kids and this kid because of the, the inheritance they will get at. But the thing is, those inheritances is temporal. It doesn't last. Amen? But you know what I'm getting at. The inheritance that we are, that's waiting for us, that, that we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven, what is waiting for us is not temporal. It is eternal forever and ever and ever. So why do we have to envy those kids when we are the children of God? Are you, do you hear me? Loved ones, we are the heirs too. We are the heirs to the kingdom of God. And whatever is available in the kingdom, it is available to us. Furthermore, our experience of the Holy Spirit is that we have this foretaste of blessedness of heaven. And it guarantees us. Notice in latter part in verse 14, I'm almost done. Paul says this, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Here's the word that I want you to underline. God's possession. To the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, we are God's possession. Amen? The Greek, the Greek word for possession is palerosiosis, which means acquiring, obtaining, possessing, ownership. God has ownership over you. God has acquired you. This is a game changer. And the reason why I say it's a game changer is because, again, remember, it was the nation of Israel that were chosen. But now, Paul reminds us through this wonderful text that we too are included in being chosen by God. That's why it's a game changer. We are treasure possession of God. In closing, one day, a friend asked of a father of four. Went to the friend and says, you have four kids. Which one do you love out of those four kids? And the, the friend, the father of four looked at the, his friend and says, I love all four of them. And, and then he says, Why? Why do you love all four of them? And he looked them in the and, and he looked his friend directly in the eye and he says, 
Because he's mine. Because they're mine. And the enemy, the accuser, Satan, that's what it means, accuser, Satan, will go up to the father and say, why do you love Nick so much? He is such a rebellious kid. He is such a sinful kid. And the father will look Satan directly in his eyes and says, because he's mine. And Jesus, when he's raised as, as that question, and he will say to Satan, he says, because I die for them. I love them because they're mine. Do you know that God the Father will say to you, you are mine. And because you are mine, I love you. Amen? You see, the children don't don't have to do anything to earn the Father's love. It's not conditional. Those of you who have children, they don't have to do anything to earn your love. Even though sometimes they can be a little bit uh, challenging and they don't listen, there is a true saying, terrible twos. We experience that. But we love them anyway. Amen? Because they're mine. They're mine. And that's what God wants to remind all of you as we conclude this series, as we land this plane, that God wants to tell you, you are mine. And I love you. Let's pray.